Uh, please uh, stand if you are able uh, for the reading of God's Word as I delve into this uh, scripture for today. <clears throat> so Ezekiel uh, chapter 37 verses 21 through 28 and then chapter 48 uh, verse 35b, the last of uh, verse 35. Then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone, and will gather them from all around and bring them to their own land. And I'll make them one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them all. And they shall be no longer two nations, and no longer divided into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves any more with their idols and their detestable things, or with any of their transgressions. But I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned, and will cleanse them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I give to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever, and David my servant shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. I shall be an it shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will set them in their land and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel, when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. And now to chapter 48, verse 35, the end. And the name of the city from that time on shall be, The Lord is there. May our great God add his blessings to this reading and hearing of his holy and infallible word. Please be seated. <clears throat> so some of you that have been around for a while uh, may remember the last time I said this was the 14th series in this, but now it's the 15th uh, of the names of God as I periodically filled the pulpit. Uh, you know, it's been you know, nearly seven years uh, since I started, and it's been a while, but it's only been five months since the last one. Uh, <clears throat> and <clears throat> you know, there've been uh, uh, some people that have joined us over the years uh, since that started that have asked me if I would just go ahead and start over and do them all again. Uh, I'm tempted, <laughs> uh, but <clears throat> unfortunately, and it, some have asked if they could, you know, hear them because they know that we've been recording uh, the messages. But unfortunately. Only a few of those uh, were recorded. So, uh, yep, if I get enough votes on Tuesday, I'll uh, consider... No, I'm just not running for anything, not, not on the ballot. Uh, but anyway, it's nice to have people ask about that. Anyway, you know, going back to uh, when we uh, have looked at uh, God's names in ancient times, uh, they really meant a lot more than they do now. Uh, they revealed you know, more information about an individual or a place or um, something itself. And it also uh, 
often the way names were used spoke of various relationships uh, that were there. Uh, and because of the depth of God's character, he has uh, various names that reflect a number of uh, many ways of how he relates with us. Uh, knowing God's names, if we really know them well, uh, opens doors for us to more fully recognize uh, and uh, uh, fully appreciate uh, his character. Uh, even if that is just uh, but a very small glimpse. Uh, <clears throat> you know, knowing more about his names, we can uh, more deeply experience his power uh, and his glory. Uh, in the name that we're going to look at today, uh, we will find our great God continuing in his covenantal promise uh, to be the ever-present God of his children. Uh, then next week we'll kind of finish this by uh, looking at his providential fulfillment uh, through another name. Uh, so they're kind of tied together. Uh, in the uh, previous names, uh, we first uh, looked at uh, was uh, Elohim. Uh, he revealed himself here as the strong one, as the uh, creator, the triune God uh, that made the entire universe. Uh, then we looked at the name Yahweh, uh, also known as Jehovah, and here he is the uh, great I Am, the uh, eternal self-existing God of revelation, a, a covenantal God. Uh, then we focused on his name uh, El Shaddai, uh, God Almighty, the all-sufficient uh, nourisher, uh, the one that uh, is a great provider of many blessings. And then as Adonai, God is Lord and Master of all, uh, sovereign over uh, all of our lives uh, and our service. Uh, his name Elohim then showed him as uh, the Most High God, as the a possessor of all, the owner uh, of the universe. Then we considered God as Yahweh uh, Jireh, the Lord who provides as the one who releases his most precious uh, blessing, that being uh, his lamb of redemption for our souls. As Yahweh Rapha, uh, he is the Lord who restores, the uh, Lord uh, that heals uh, all sorrows. Then as Yahweh uh, Nisi, uh, he is the Lord, the Lord is my banner. Uh, he sets the standards for our uh, victory over sin. Then as uh, Yahweh uh, Mekadishkim, uh, he is the Lord who sanctifies, uh, the one that takes us and sets us apart for his holy service. Then as Yahweh Shalom, he is the Lord is peace. It is through him that we can have an everlasting rest. Then we looked at his name, Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. And it is through this name that by him alone we have justification and acceptance. And we're almost there. Then we looked at his name as Yahweh Rohi, the Lord is uh, is my shepherd, a very uh, personal uh, pronouncement in that he is uh, the one who tends to and pastures his flock and shelters them with protection. And then last time uh, we looked at his name, Yahweh Saba, the Lord of hosts, the warrior, the combatant uh, that stands before us ready uh, to do battle in our defense.
So in essence, there is a name uh, for God uh, for every circumstance in which we uh, may find ourselves in uh, relations, uh, relationship to him. <clears throat> and one of his names will also uh, apply in every purpose in which we may uh, look uh, and find him. And so today, uh, this final verse of the book of Ezekiel is where we find the last name of God in the Old Testament, and that name being Yahweh Shammah. Uh, the name translates as the Lord is there, or Yahweh is there. Uh, as we explore the uh, historical setting uh, for this passage, uh, we will note that this seems a most uh, fitting name uh, with which the Old Testament revelation uh, appears to come to a climax. By his various names earlier revealed in Scripture, our Lord Almighty uh, has revealed himself in the power uh, and the majesty of his person, as well as his meeting the every need of mankind, the, the mankind that he created uh, in his image and for his glory, the mankind that uh, due to the fall by sin, that now mankind has a severed relationship with him and thus requires redemption. As I mentioned uh, earlier, the name uh, Yahweh Shammah contains uh, both a, a promise uh, and a sense of fulfillment to come. Uh, this name uh, spotlights God's personal presence as it relates it to his uh, purpose in the redemption of mankind. We will see even more regarding this redemption next week uh, when we look at the prophecy found in chapter 7 of Isaiah uh, when there is a promise of a day in which a child named Emmanuel be, will be with God's people. Uh, the name Emmanuel translates as the Lord is with us or Yahweh is with us. God is with us. Now from the uh, <clears throat> beginning of the Old Testament, uh, God has revealed his intention to be uh, with his people. Uh, he walked with them, uh, he spoke with them uh, in the garden, and subsequently we are told many times over uh, how we, he dwelled with them uh, in sanctuaries uh, that were uh, built uh, in their midst. You know, how he was with them. Looking at the uh, book of Ezekiel, we see that it ends much the same way as the New Testament ends with the book of Revelation. Uh, both describe uh, the great city of our most holy God. Both speak of a time when God will abide with his people, when he will reside with his children. And at nearly the very uh, last verse uh, of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, the Lord says, Surely I am coming soon. You know, of, of interest, uh, the book of Ezekiel is the only uh, prophetic book uh, that is entirely autobiographical. Autobiographical. That is, it is uh, written in the first person, written uh, from the vantage point of the uh, prophet's perspective, uh, written from his direct knowledge. It is written uh, as a prophet who has been in direct contact with our holy God. 
you know, as one reads uh, the book of Ezekiel, it becomes uh, fairly apparent that it can generally be divided into three sections. At first, there is considerable judgment against uh, Israel. Then there is judgment against the foreign nations, the neighbors of Israel. And then there is a time for grace and mercy for Israel. And as we look at the name, this name of God, Yahweh Shammah, we will see that it focuses more towards the grace and mercy that God continually pours out to his chosen children despite their repeated and incessant rebellion. And so, a little history. You know, Ezekiel declared his uh, prophecy, that being uh, the word of God, uh, at a time when the nation of Israel was totally decimated. In chapter 9 of First Chronicles is the first mention of this round that God had expressed judgment upon the people for having been unfaithful. He had the Israelites exiled once again, this time at the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. They were physically, emotionally, and spiritually crippled because of this Babylonian captivity. They were likely at an absolute lowest web of their history. Uh, some would say that the sun had long set on them as a nation. How many of them might have thought the Lord had totally forsaken them? Did they feel they were forgotten? What, <clears throat> with that in thought, when you uh, read through the book of Ezekiel, I urge you to, and I urge you to do it as soon as possible. You know, try to put yourself in the place of an Israelite of that time. Jerusalem had been sacked. It was completely plundered. The temple, the place that stands for God's visible presence among his people, had been destroyed. It had been turned to rubble. Ezekiel's prophetic announcement that contains the name Yamashaweh can be dated to about 25 years after the beginning of their captivity. And so they had been suffering for quite some time. And it was then about 14 years after the obliteration of Jerusalem and the temple. You know, they may have thought that all was lost, but they certainly were not blameless. The days leading up to this captivity were marked by their utter sin and rebellion against God. In chapter 19, the prophet described Israel as a ruined divine. In chapter 20, Israel, uh, Ezekiel seems to rehearse how God might deal with them. He outright declares that God must pour out his wrath upon this nation that has so severely defiled itself and sinned against their God. But throughout this section, there are proclamations that God has acted for the sake of his name. You see, the Lord God Almighty is a holy God, and therefore he cannot permit unabated unholiness among his people. He must respond in character to his own nature, according to his character. 
In chapter 1, the prophet agonizes because he is required to deliver this message of judgment for their continued behavior. Verses 6 and 7 read, As for you, son of man, groan with breaking heart and bitter grief, groan before their eyes. And when they say to you, Why do you groan? You shall say, Because of the news that it is coming, every heart will melt and all hands will be feeble. Every spirit will faint and all knees will be weak as water. Behold, it is coming and it will be fulfilled, declares the Lord. In chapter 22, then, the prophet talks uh, of their many transgressions against the holiness of God. Among those offenses, they have treated father and mother without regard, uh, despised holy institutions, and profaned the Sabbath. They practiced sexual immorality and taken bribes and oppressed the weak. And to add even more dishonor, rather than rebuke the people in their sin, the political and religious leaders led in the infidelity, the sedition, the treason, the blasphemy against God. And so, for their rebellion, the Lord declares that he must bring judgment upon his people. And he is very forthright. Chapter 24, verse 14 reads, I am the Lord, I have spoken. It shall come to pass. I will do it. I will not go back. I will not spare. I will not relent. According to your ways and your deeds, you will be judged, declares the Lord God. And then he turns in judgment of the surrounding nations. Uh, But then a few chapters later, in chapter 33, we seem to see a turning point. Ezekiel is appointed as Israel's watchman. God instructs his watchman to tell his people that he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather he desires that they turn back so they may live. And so the prophet is directed then to proclaim a message of repentance, a repentance that's accompanied by holiness. Rather than blaming the Lord for the calamity that has befallen them, they are told to turn from their unholiness, to abort their blasphemy, and submit to practice of justice and righteousness. But you guessed it, that was not to be. And so Jerusalem and the temple lay in ruin. You know, next, Ezekiel is instructed to pronounce judgment upon the false shepherds who have neglected God's flock, the flock that had been scattered among many other nations. Yet in this context, we also begin to hear the promise of restoration. Ezekiel chapter 34, uh, verses 13 and 17, and speaking of his scattered sheep, God says, And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in the the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. 
They shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. Although it was <coughs> about six months ago, I think, does this sound a little familiar uh, to the message when we were uh, looking at God's name, Yahweh, Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd. <clears throat> so I've challenged your memory enough, but uh, then uh, the prophet of Israel, of Ezekiel, uh, goes on uh, that, uh, revealing that his good shepherd uh, will be his servant David, when he says in verses 23 and 24, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. And then I think in this verse we're also reminded of Isaiah's prophecy of a Messiah to come one who, by his virgin birth, uh, his incarnation as the rod of Jesse, being the seed of David, he is the one and only fully God and fully man as Jesus Christ. In chapter 36 of Ezekiel, uh, through the prophet, the Lord declares the mountains of Israel will be blessed. And he goes on to say, uh, speaking of his land Israel, for they will soon come home. For behold, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown, sown, and I will multiply people on you, and the whole house of Israel, all of it. The cities shall be inhabited, and the waste places rebuilt. Well, we can surely uh, praise our great God for his steadfast uh, love and mercy. Uh, might we also ask, why is God bringing about this restoration after the people of Israel had so gravely desecrated his name? They had so thoroughly violated his honor. And I suggest that we look at it this way. You know, God first needed to bring judgment because of Israel's behavior. And so he did. And now God is prepared to restore his people if they repent because that is consistent with his nature to do so. He says that he does this for his name's sake. <clears throat> In uh, chapter 36, uh, God says to Ezekiel, Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Now, this is a wonderful declaration as it you know, continues to show that God will gather his people, then change them, you know, give them uh, a new heart, put his spirit within them, 
and caused them to observe his most holy ordinances. You know, what a, a great blessing that we see with this. You know, as we go on then in chapters 40 and through 48, we read about God's wonderful plans for the restoration of his people. You know, many of these plans are focused on the rebuilding of the temple. But remember, what is the central place that the temple plays in Israel's life? It symbolizes God's presence among them. You know, in a vision, Ezekiel is given measurements for the outer and the inner courts, and as well as a lot of other details about the construction of the temple. You know, the focus and purpose for this restoration of his people and rebuilding the temple is most astonishingly stated in chapter 43, verses 4 and 5, when Ezekiel says, As the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Could you even begin to imagine Ezekiel in this vision? Uh, knowing that the true that this is the true and promise of the great triune God, all I can say is, "Wow!" And you know, woes to me if it were I. You know, Ezekiel sees himself catapulted to the innermost sanctuary, the most holy of places, and he is in the presence of the glory of God. He is there. He is present with the Lord Almighty ruler of heaven and earth, can you even begin to imagine the majesty before you? <clears throat> but then the uh, reminder of this last section conveys, uh, while some of this last section conveys you know, more mundane aspects uh, of the uh, new temple, the duties of the Levites and the ordinances of the priests and a few various other things, it also talks about the division of the land. And then uh, in chapter 48, the tribes of Israel and their dwelling places are uh, spelled out. Uh, but don't let the detail of that distract from this wonderful promise that's contained at the end of the very last verse. As it reads, And the name of the city from that time on shall be, The Lord is there. That is Yahweh Shammah. The Lord truly is there. You know, this message of hope and restoration must have been uh, a ray of enthusiasm, rather a, a beam of excitement uh, for the people in captivity. Uh, the prophet looks forward to the day when uh, Israel be, will be uh, resettled by God's people and the, the temple will be rebuilt. <clears throat> but the issue is not simply a physical building. Uh, it is the glory and presence of the Lord himself, Yahweh Shammah. Uh, the Lord is there. The Lord, Israel will know uh, the Lord's presence. They will know his glory. They will be present with it. Yahweh Shammah will be with them. Uh, if we look uh, at a, a few prior moments of uh, Israelite history, we can see uh, the significance contained in the, the promise of this name. It's helpful to remember one of the unique aspects of Israel's religion when it's 
compared, uh, contrasted uh, with uh, the religions of the surrounding nations. Uh, Israel has a distinct, distinct trust uh, that the Most High God dwelled in their midst and that he was among them. Uh, Yahweh was not an absentee landlord. Uh, he was not a, he is not a uh, God represented by some carved idol. Uh, he is not a, a limited deity relegated to a particular so-called uh, holy place. Uh, he was a personal, or he is a personal and all-powerful God present with them, uh, present at all times and all places. You know, way back when we uh, looked at the singular name Yahweh, uh, we noticed the, the promise and the assurance of God's uh, presence with Moses. Uh, when Moses visited Pharaoh and when Moses led the people of Israel uh, from the Egyptian captivity. Uh, when Moses denounced his own uh, thoughts of his inability uh, to deliver, uh, God firmly responded, but I will be with you. So Moses lived his entire life with this bedrock promise in his mind. Another example, you know, after receiving the Ten Commandments, Moses returned from Mount Sinai to find that Israel had committed a most great sin against Yahweh by constructing and worshiping a golden calf, an idol to be their god. And all I can say is, yikes, was the Lord God, Yahweh, mad. He was angry. And yes, he was full of wrath. Uh, he had basically had it up to here. A result, uh, the Lord commanded Moses to confront the stick-necked people, these rebellious people, and inform them that he, the Lord, would not be with them. But Moses feared that he would would not be safe in delivering this message. Uh, so God uh, says that he will send an angel to go before him, really meaning that he is sending an angel, angel with him. You know, God at that point was so angry that he didn't want to personally go with Moses as he confronted the people. But he was being at least represented by an angel. And later Moses continues uh, his intercession uh, for the people of Israel. And uh, Moses responds to the Lord, Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he, meaning God, said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he, meaning Moses, said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? So the distinct character of the people of God is that he personally, he is personally with them. And in turn, he is not with those that are not his. You know, there are a number of symbols revealing the presence of God. The pillar of fire, 
the cloud, the movable tabernacle, the ark, uh, the temple. Uh, when the cloud stood over the tabernacle, the people were assured of God's presence, and they stopped to worship. The cloud that uh, surrounded the mountain when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments made the people aware that they were in the presence of the holy God. The Lord had shown his people his, his presence. In First Chronicles chapter 17, we are told of the, the passion that filled David's heart to build a permanent temple as a place to signify God's presence. But God later, through the prophet Nathan, told David that it would not be him uh, to build the temple, but rather God would give his descendants a permanent place to live, and he would allow them uh, to build the temple. Well, this may have been a, a personal and uh, humanly disappointment to David, God did assure David shortly after that he was with him wherever he had gone. And then in Second Chronicles, we are told that when Solomon, David's son, completed the temple finished and finished his prayer, that fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This glory of the Lord proved his presence at that place. <clears throat> So this time of Ezekiel's prophecy, the people were shattered. The temple being in ruins uh, was a crushing blow uh, to the Hebrew pride. Uh, their captivity had repercussions. Uh, Israel was despondent and discouraged. Although the faith of Israel was distinguished by its emphasis on the presence of God in their midst, it likely seemed to many that God had in fact, removed himself, that he had abandoned his people. Uh, finding joyous worship during this time was likely quite a challenge. So into this seemingly hopeless situation, the restoration prophecy found in Ezekiel must have been quite encouraging. You know, God is now declaring a day when a new city of Zion will be built. Uh, a city uh, with a new temple, a city called the Lord is there. Its name, Yahweh Shammah, and central to that is the presence of God and his glory in that place. In Psalm 132, uh, we are told, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. And at the end of uh, Isaiah chapter 12, we read, Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And so the name Yahweh Shammah should remind us that you know, in our darkest of hours, that God is there when we have feelings of abandonment, of despair, of uh, seeming hopelessness, that in our prayers we need to address him as Yahweh Shammah. You know, look at the words of the first 12 verses of Psalm 139. Uh, Mike read a couple of those verses, but 
Starting in verse 1, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is in my mouth, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not, not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is light is as light with you. So yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, the na- this name Yahweh Shammah is a true promise of his presence with us. And thus we must pray for repentance and restoration. And then... We can shout and sing for joy as he declares that he is with us and for us. Let us truly glorify God and enjoy him forever. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your grace and mercy. So thankful for your blessings. Uh, that grant us repentance and restoration. We are so thankful for your holy and infallible word, the word that blesses us with the truth of your names and ways that help us know you better. Lord, we want to know you uh, to the fullest. We want to uh, know you uh, as children of your covenant. We want to uh, know you so we may magnify your glory. And Lord, what glory and greatness we see in your name, Yahweh Shammah. The Lord is there. The Lord that does not abandon. The Lord that is always present forever and ever. So Father, we look to you for our strength and encouragement. We look to you for our restoration. A restoration that we know we don't deserve, but a restoration uh, that you grant uh, through the righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord God, we uh, submit to you knowing that you are Yahweh Shammah and you will continue to bless us forever and ever with your presence. I pray this in the name of your Son and and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.